I'm Bishop Chester Wright, and this is the video teaching series, The Biblical Principles Governing the Eyes. The Lord has really been speaking to us in this video series, and I'm praying that as you work through each of these lessons, that you will let the Lord speak to your heart and um, bring a new dimension of conviction and commitment to uh, seeking him, being a part of what he's doing, and having a desire to not have anything in us uh, that would prevent him from being able to use us. Uh, this lesson, Lesson 11, uh, is, um, is pretty heavy. You say, well, the lessons have been pretty heavy so far. Well, this one is going to be right there with the heaviest. Uh, and the title of the lesson is, There is no controlling the end result of having undisciplined eyes. Once once you, you breach a certain membrane, so to speak, there's there's really no restraining barriers. There's no there's there's no stopping points. Once it begins, uh, the spirit of lust begins to work in our lives. So, <clears throat> biblically and naturally, the most devastating misuse of the eyes is whether we're married or single, is lusting after another person who is not your wife or husband. Uh, I don't have to justify that statement. Every single individual who is watching one of these lessons has personal testimonies of uh, personal experiences, whether it was your own family or uh, with your relatives or a friend or someone that knows the impact upon the entire family when one person decides that they're going to dwell on uh, desiring someone who is not their husband or their wife. Uh, the impact is never upon the two parties who are involved. It is on a ripple effect. It's like throwing a pebble into a pond and the concentric circles of the ripples just continue to go and they affect, constantly affect. So what would seem to be contained, and as we have discussed in the past lessons about David, what, 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 was, one, what was one act of having Bathsheba come to his house, his palace, and sleeping with her uh, affected her family. It cost her husband her, his life so that David could hide his sin. It cost the baby that was born of that union his life. And uh, it rippled all through not only David's life and David's family, but all of the nation of Israel was affected by that one act. By that one act. So there are a lot of ways to misuse the gift of sight that God has given us. There are a lot of ways to use it. But this one seems to be the most devastating and uh, uh, and most impacting 
of all of the sins. They, there's a progression to this. Uh, you don't just see a person that in that instant you commit adultery with them. That's not how it works. Uh, it starts out with an initial uh, look that seems innocent enough. It's just a look. And as I've already taught, our eyes are designed to see. And uh, a lot of times we see stuff that wasn't our choice and we didn't have any intention of seeing. So that initial look of the eye seeing the image and the image being formed in the back of the brain and whatever, that initial look is innocent. At least it seems innocent enough. But it's what that image does in our being, what it triggers in our being, that's the problem. Because if that first look produces a second look, and that second look is a lingering look, where there's a closer examination, a closer closer perusal of that one we're looking at, that edge is closer to the line. And even then, it's possible, by the grace of God, to back away from that, turn away from it, and not be affected long term. It might have been a momentary linger, and you catch yourself finally, oh, I don't want to do that, and so you, you back away. But the initial look turning into a lingering look, if the lingering look lasts long enough, it becomes a longing look. And there's where we cross over the line. And according to Jesus, even if we never approach that individual, even if we never communicate with them, even if we never attempt to uh, consummate the longing that we have, we have in from Jesus' pers- Jesus's perspective, we have crossed the line. We've crossed the line. We've crossed the line. He says we've now committed adultery in our hearts. Now, that's that's pretty serious right there. That's pretty serious. Eventually, the looking, lingering, longing, and crossing becomes a habit. Becomes a habit. And, And the self-justification is, I'm not doing anything about it. I'm not talking to the person. I'm not approaching the person. And this is especially true if we're lingering and longing and crossing the line uh, in some kind of action uh, that uh, we're involved in virtually, either in still pictures or moving pictures, Internet, uh, whatever it may be. It's still the same thing. It becomes a habit. And because, because of the nature of our world today and of this technology, because of the fact that it can be done in private uh, and theoretically no one would know, it is, it, it is so easy for that beco- to become a truly devastating habit that consumes a person. They, they'd have to do it. Uh, that, that they just have to do that. Well, the problem is this. 
sometime after that habit is formed, the spirit of that person changes. Their fellowship with God, if they are Christian, their fellowship with God is not only waning, but it eventually ceases to be. And now they're no longer in a relationship with God. They're practicing religion until such point that they they decide to not even do that. But some never stop practicing religion because it's their cover. Even to themselves, it's a cover of justification. Well, I'm still going to church. I'm still doing whatever. But I have separated myself from God by loving what he hates. And so therefore, I'm in a place where uh, I'm in serious danger. And maybe, maybe it's even more dangerous for the person that never acts on it. Maybe, Maybe there's not as many other people affected by it. But when that person, when that becomes a habit, it eventually becomes a stronghold. And at some point, that person literally will become possessed. If they had the Holy Ghost, the Holy Ghost will move out of a house that is habitually unclean, and the adversary will replace the Holy Ghost and imitate God to the point that person is deceived. And how do they ever repent from that when they don't ever acknowledge that This is the result of where they've gone. As a result of this habit, the habit, the conscience no longer works, and the voice of God is soon replaced with an imitation of God's voice without the hearer ever being aware. Uh, After 50-plus years of ministry, I have seen this happen way too many times. When as a minister, a pastor trying to help somebody, there was no way to convince them that the voice they were now hearing was not God. They were so self-deceived. But nobody gets to that point. It's, there's no zero to 60 in half a second. That doesn't happen. It's a long process with many efforts by God along the way to speak to them. And they keep turning it off because there is that, again, that momentary pleasure of the flesh. But they become addicted to that momentary pleasure. It's like the person using drugs. And initially, a little bit of drugs has a big effect. But uh, over time, the body adjusts. You have to take more and more drugs to get the same effect. And then eventually, you're not getting any real effect at all. You just can't stop the drugs, because the body will then react very, very negatively. Well, it's the same thing with any addiction uh, in this kind of situation. It ceases to truly fulfill, but I can't stop it because the withdrawals are so painful. And it doesn't matter whether it's a, a drug of the flesh or a drug of the eye. It's really, really similar. So something has to happen really traumatic to shake that person out of the condition they're in, to even get them to acknowledge, I need to change. A lot of times, that's being discovered. And when they're discovered, and then there's the big trauma of the people that are wounded and offended by their actions, and then in that situation, they either become defensive and blame it on everybody else instead of themselves, or, or, uh, 
and well, let me go back. And they're blaming on everybody else. And then they they separate themselves from those that are accusing them because they have lived so much. They're not only addicted to the lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, but they're addicted to self-justification. So they have to separate themselves from the people that are now accusing because all of this had been in private before. Well, it wasn't in private. God was there and he was trying to help us. But this, you know, this, you know, exposure of sin has been said many times by many preachers is God's last act of redemption. When he can't talk to us privately, he exposes our sin. When there's no other way, no other hope, then he arranges for our sin to be exposed. That's not, and, it, and the problem is the exposure of sin hurts other people. But the only way we can be saved is through that exposure of sin. The problem then is if we don't deny, if we acknowledge, now we have this wrong, long road back from this habit. God can deliver, forgive us instantly. He can deliver us instantly, but the, 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 bot, the life is so given over to this habit, this habit, that it, it's not easy to overcome a habit. Even with the deliverance and the grace of God, there's still, it's still a habit. Now, in some rare instances, God so completely delivers the person, they don't have any withdrawals, regardless of what their addiction is to. But that is not the, the, the norm. In most situations, a person goes through some kind of period of, of, of really difficult trial and test as they trust God to help them to say no, 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 no. But even when they are coming out of that, they still have to deal with the shame of the hurt they've caused to other people when God had no other choice but to expose their sin to save them. So this, this, and this is all if they didn't act on it, if they all, if they kept it privately. And, you know, <laughs> years ago it was magazines and, and it might have been books or something before. I don't know. Uh, but we've never lived in a, there's never been a time when people could have such an addicted addiction and it be private, so private, that it's difficult for God to deal with it because we won't listen. We're so involved. And so in that situation, in that situation, uh, we force him to expose the sin. We, we force him to do that. And he does that to, to save us. But in the exposure, there's so much damage done. And that's even true if the person is acting on it. How many times have people carried on a clandestine affair and were able to lie and cover it up and hide it and, and God would deal with the two people involved and they wouldn't listen and he finally had to expose it just trying to save them, just trying to save them. So again... Uh, this is probably emotionally, spiritually, relationship-wise with God and others. This is a very, very painful uh, and destructive use of the eyes. As I quoted early in one of the earlier videos, the Lord says that he that 
that, that commits fornication. Every other sin is without the body, but he that commits fornication sins against his own body. And when you consider that as a saved person, my body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. My body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. Uh, it puts me in a very, very difficult position spiritually. Now, I can be saved from that. I can be brought back from that. But sometimes the residual effects uh, aren't, aren't stopped. They're not stopped. They're, 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 there's wounds and, and destruction that takes place with that that affects to the third and fourth generation sometimes. It did with David. At the point that the slippery descent into the depths of unimagined depravity is only a matter of time. When I when I when God doesn't expose and I'm involved in this, it it no matter how involved I am, whether it's privately with another individual or privately in my own little virtual world, whatever it would be, there is and and I don't and and I don't let him dealing with me bring me back from that brink. Uh, there reaches a matter of time that no illicit affair uh, is uh, going to satisfy forever. Uh, you can convince yourself you're in love with that person if it's an actual relationship, but how many times is there a divorce or remarriage and that that doesn't last because eventually it's proven that that relationship is built on lust and not on uh, uh, actual love, and then they get off into all other kind of stuff because flesh craves more and more and more depravity. And there's a there's a possibility to get to the place that there is no there is no recovery from that. There's no recovery when we violate the Lord's guidelines for monitoring what we allow ourselves to see. We soon find ourselves, as Peter declared, seeing through eyes full of adultery. Those are, those are the King James words in, in, the, in the book of Peter, Second Peter. Eyes full of adultery. I want you to notice as we read the following verses from Second Peter 2, 12 through 22, that the adulterous eyes are keeping company with other negative spiritual characteristics that are incomprehensible and are totally reprehensible. The frightening thing is that the individuals characterized here have no awareness, no awareness of their condition. That is so terrifying that the people we're about to read about have no awareness. They don't know the condition they're in. They think what they're doing is totally fine. Their, their conscience no longer works. They're not listening to the voice of God. They, uh, they are totally spiritually blind. And here's the final shock before I read these scriptures. These people were all born again of the water and the spirit, baptized in Jesus' name, filled with the Holy Ghost. Peter's not talking about sinners. He's talking about believers, people who were in the church and think they're still in the church. But the scripture says their end is damnation. 
their end is damnation. Notice also as we read these verses that, that when a person gets to this place, they're very evangelistic, so to speak, in their depravity. It's not enough to do this stuff alone. They, they involve other people. They reach a point where it's no longer secret, secret. Now they have to share it with somebody. It's not enough that they themselves are in this condition, but they aggressively attempt to recruit others to their new lifestyle of liberty as well. Why? Because they need others to live like them to continue to convince themselves that their new lifestyle is acceptable. Could it be that all of the spiritual conditions started with only an innocent look? So we're reading 2 Peter 2, chapter chapter 2, verse 12. But these are natural brute beasts made to be taken and destroyed. Speak, speak evil of things that they understand not, and shall utter, utterly perish in their own corruption, and shall receive the reward of unrighteousness as they that count it pleasure to riot in the daytime. Spots they are, and blemishes, sporting themselves with their own deceivings while they feast with you. So they're feasting with you. They're, that, those are the, the, the love feasts that the early church have. It wasn't, wasn't a, it wasn't a, uh, an orgy. It was a time of getting together and sharing food and fellowship and, and just loving one another spiritually. So these people were still per, 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 participating with the church as part of the church in these love feasts. So sporting themselves with their own deceivings while they feast with you. And, and actually beginning to take pride in the fact that you don't recognize at all where they are. Look how effective I am in this. But listen to the next verse. Having eyes full of adultery and that cannot cease from sin. They can't stop sinning. Beguiling unstable souls. So they prey upon others to drag them into their activities because they need more and more bodies and fresh victims for their lust and heart they have exercised with covetous practices their cursed children we have forsaken which have forsaken the right way and are gone astray following the way of Balaam the son of Bosor who loved the wages of unrighteousness but was rebuked for his iniquity the dumbass speaking with man's voice forbade the madness of the prophet these are wells without water Clouds that are carried with a tempest, to whom the mist of darkness is reserved forever. For when they speak great swelling words of vanity, they allure through the lust of the flesh, through much wantonness, those who were clean escape from them who live in error. So they, they, they use fancy speech and oratorical words and they allure. So at this point, he has begun to talk about not just the average person or the saint who may be living like this, but now he's talking about those who are actually in the ministry like this, who now, who are now justifi- justifying themselves and, to, and to, to continue to, to work their job as a preacher and to live this lifestyle. They now have a doctrine that there's, that, that's, all this is okay. All this, we're, we're not into legalism. We're not going to bind people to this. You can come as you are and be who you are. And God still loves you. That's the lie. That's the lie. And it's a lie being told across this country today in many places. So look at this 
Verse 18 again. For when they speak great swelling words of vanity, they allure through the lusts of the flesh, through much wantonness. Those who are clean escape from them who live in error. While they promise them liberty, they themselves are the servants of corruption. For of whom a man is overcome, of the same is he brought in bondage. So that's their message. Liberty. God saves us. We, we have the liberty. The grace of God lets us live however we want to live and we're still saved. And all of this is based on having the, the ability to live by the lust of their own flesh and do what they want to do. They promise that they're living the lie of liberty themselves, but that's not enough. Now they want to deceive others. They need others to, to believe this same thing. But look at, look at the result of this. Verse 20. For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled therein and overcome. The latter end with, is worse with them than the beginning. So whatever God saved them out of, that's nothing compared to what they're going into. For it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after they have known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. But it has happened unto them according to the true proverb, the dog is turned to his own vomit again and the sow that was washed to her wallowing in the mire. This lesson is so important. We're going to break it into two parts. And uh, I will continue this lesson uh, in part uh, B of this lesson 11. But hear, hear me, please, as we wind down this portion of the lesson. If you have any conscience that's working at all, if you have any any fear of God at all, if you have any desire to be saved at all, just reading through these words of the Apostle Peter should be terrifying, should be sobering as much as anything has ever sobered us before. Just reading through it. Just reading through it. How in the world can we, can people who have, as Paul said in Hebrews, tasted of the, uh, the the word of God and of the power of the worlds to come. How can we abandon that for such a life of depravity? You say, well, I'll never be like that. No, nobody ever starts there. That's not a starting place. That's an ending place. That's that, But it, it, it starts with a look. It's an innocent look that becomes a lingering look, that becomes a longing look that produces some kind of action, whether it's in private with just that individual alone or if it's actually involving another human being in that sin. And what if that other person is not as ready to walk away from God as you are, yet they're persuaded to participate? And now in their shame and their guilt and their feelings of horror over what they've done, they have no faith to come out of that. There's so many victims to this. There's so many victims. But the problem is, 
Lust is the most selfish feeling anybody experiences. Lust is so selfish, it usually never even considers that others might be victims of that lust. It becomes so focused, so self-centered, that it only looks for its own gratification and everything else is collateral damage. So, uh, just, just, it's just, just part of it. Okay, okay, whatever. And, and, uh, <laughs> here we are. Here we are. What, what, what are we going to do with this? What are you going to do with this? Let's pray right now. Jesus, help us. Father, help us. Open our eyes, open our heart, open our spirit. Bring to us a soberness. A soberness of mind and heart and spirit so that we see truly. We think truly. We feel truly. Where we can be honest with ourselves and honest with you. So that you can help us from this. Grant us, give us the gift of repentance where we're not just sorry And we're not sorry because we're caught, but we're truly sorry because our sins have have offended you, Lord. Like David prayed after his adultery, against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. Open our eyes and our minds and our spirits, Father, and let us see that there there is no sin that affects nobody else but us. Because of our relationship with you, our sin is personal with you. It is a personal affront with you. It is a sin against you, Father. Help us to see that. Open our heart, open our spirits, open our minds, and cause that to be the case. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, speak to us, Father. I I speak the spirit of grace upon us and the spirit of mercy upon us that we might receive because of your love that we might receive these things, Father, and that we might be able to be free, that we would not just be forgiven of our sins, but we would be delivered from our sins and delivered from the lust of those things so that we can walk with you and walk in your spirit and that you might teach us how to walk in your spirit that we might not fulfill the lust of the flesh. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I ask these things and speak these things. In Jesus' name, amen. I I bless you to receive the spirit of conviction and repentance that is working upon you right now in listening to this and watching this lesson. God bless you. Next is coming part two of this lesson.